Welcome to the Public Services Reform Podcast from the Centre for Market and Public Organisation. My name is Ramesh Vaitalingam and today I'm talking to Professor Aloysius Xiao from the University of Toronto. Aloysius is here for a conference on sex selection, but this morning he's presented a paper on his theory of menopause. Aloysius, I wonder if you could start off by introducing us to, to what the issue is that you're, you're approaching here. Why, why are you interested in this question of menopause? Um, it's, what's kind of surprising is that uh, menopause is not common among mammals and certainly not present in uh, any other primate species other than humans. Uh, so one thing is rare. And uh, from evolutionary theory uh, perspective, it's also anomalous. Uh, a postmenopausal woman uh, still consume resources uh, which could be otherwise given to her offsprings. So from evolutionary theory, you have a, a sp- uh, an organism that is consuming resources but not adding to future fertility and depriving resources from uh, her offsprings, which could increase future fertility. So that's a, that's a problem from a theory point of view. And it's this issue around resources, really, which is why how an economist comes to be thinking about these things. That's the kind of link with evolutionary biological questions. Right. Uh, so let me just say that uh, there is an existing theory that evolutionary uh, biologists have thought about, and they call it the grandmother hypothesis. And that hypothesis basically says these post-reproductive uh, grandmothers uh, essentially help their offsprings uh, to survive and maybe to have more kids and also to look after the grandkids. But while they are not producing kids directly themselves, uh, they further the survival of their offsprings and grand offsprings. Um, that theory, uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, the evidence on it is uh, mixed. And part of the reason why it's difficult to get conclusive evidence is one is that even though post-reproductive grandmothers have more grandkids, um, part of the reason could be that women who live long enough to be post-reproductive have long-lived genes, which also says that their grandchildren are going to be healthier. So the fact that they have more grandchildren is not necessarily what they do directly, but the fact that they may have uh, healthy genes. Um, Another issue that comes up is the question of reverse causality. Whether a post-reproductive grandmother who's consuming resources uh, but not producing future fertility justify consuming those resources by helping out their offsprings and their grand offsprings. So then again you have a correlation but the causality is reversed. So you feel that the grandmother theory is unsatisfactory, which is why you started thinking about an alternative theory. And you started off by thinking about it in terms of looking at chimps, which are our, our nearest primate relatives. Yes, so, so chimps, uh, biologists have studied chimps, and suddenly most of the evidence point to these chimps not going through any uh, period of menopause at all. Okay, so and they are our, it turns out they are our uh, nearest relatives also uh, among primates. 
And chimps, uh, their uh, fertility of chimps is kind of interesting. They live in troops of, uh, of mixed gender of about uh, 15 to 50 chimps in a troop. And um, when a female chimp is about 8 to 10 years old, uh, she becomes uh, sexually active and she, uh, menarche begins at age 10, which is when she begins to menstruate. And the first birth occurs somewhere between age 12 to 20. Now it turns out that these female chimps are uh, quite promiscuous and they would essentially mate with every male chimp in the troop uh, each time they ovulate. Um, as a consequence, um, males have no idea who the father of the infant that is born and because they don't know who the father of the infant actually is, uh, male, male chimps don't uh, contribute much to uh, survival of the offspring, nor they contribute much resources to uh, the females because they are not sure actually who produced the uh, offspring. So chimps, uh, female chimps essentially bear the burden both of childbearing, childbirth, and also uh, investing in their own children. Uh, so the question you can ask is why would, uh, so in general you would think that if the female chimps were aware of this whole cause of childbearing, they wouldn't want to have as many kids as uh, nature would want them to have. The male chimps of course are happy to have uh, more kids because they don't bear any of the cost of having those kids. The nature solves that problem by, of course, making chimps uh, have a desire for sex when the female ovulates. So chimps have sex, uh, and of course as a consequence of having sex, they have kids. So put another way, the chimps don't consciously, are not consciously able to control uh, how many offsprings they'll have. So the key element to your theory is then taking this idea of the chimps and then you add a certain kind of intelligence to that which would make them more like us and then thinking about the effect that that intelligence will have on their approach to thinking about having offspring. That's exactly right. So I was beginning to think about well what happens if you give this chimp a very specific intelligence, in particular an understanding of where children comes from, that if they did have sex that sex in a couple of months will turn into a kid. And then they will have to bear the consequence of both uh, childbirth and child rearing. And if the, the second part of the intelligence, which of course is also that even if they realize the process of reproduction, that they care about the consequence of having sex now and the cost the mother will have to pay later. Uh, if, those, if the chimp had that sort of intelligence, uh, the argument goes is that these mothers or these female chimps would choose to have, uh, would choose for one, first to delay uh, childbearing and second to have a total uh, number of smaller number of uh, children. Now from an evolutionary perspective that is inefficient because the mother doesn't take into account that 
the chimp bears also half the genes of the father. So from nature's point of view, the child is a public good. Half the genes belong to the mother, half the genes belong to the father, but the mother is not going to take that into account in making her childbearing decision. So she's going to choose to have less kids than would be optimal from uh, an evolutionary perspective. So to get things back to maximizing fitness, which is what evolutionary theory predicts, uh, nature then reacts to the fact that these chimps became intelligent by uh, developing a menopause. And what does menopause do? What menopause does, of course, is basically retards the ability of these chimps then to delay childbirth and child rearing. Uh, because if they wait too long, they won't have any kids at all. So it's kind of a signal to young humans or young chimps that have acquired the intelligence, the signal that you have a biological clock. That's exactly right. So to the extent that we have uh, young women who complain about the biological clock and what it means, um, the whole point here is that nature imposes that clock basically to get uh, young women to get going on building a family. Now, fair or not, uh, we suddenly see that it works uh, in the right direction. Is there any way we can test this theory, uh, Aloysius? I mean, is, is there any evidence we could go back and look at from primitive societies, for example? Right. So this is, like I say, the theory is suddenly speculative and it's kind of interesting. But it also says that looking at hunter-gatherers today is not the right way to test this theory. Because the theory basically says, look, if this problem is going to arise from evolution perspective, <coughs> as soon as uh, chimps or other primates get a level of intelligence and suddenly hunter-gatherers already know, understand the reproduction system and the consequences of reproduction. And in fact, hunter-gatherers try very much to control the reproductive process. They, they practice uh, contraception. Uh, by both the rhythm methods and other methods, which is uh, doesn't work very well. They also practice homemade abortions, which is also dangerous and don't necessarily work very well either. But what that does tell you is the hunter-gatherers clearly want to control their uh, reproduction. And so, so suddenly testing the models using hunter-gatherers is not the right way to go. Now, the theory does have a prediction, though, uh, now whether we can test it in our lifetime uh, or whether you actually want to see the validation of testing in your lifetime is not necessarily something you want to experience. Recall that I said that the whole point of having sexual desire is that these chimps don't understand that you have to have sex to have babies, so we directly, nature directly makes chimps value sex. So when the chimps ovulate, when the female ovulate, their desire for sex increase. And in fact, males also know that the female chimp is ovulating. So they have sex and then the baby comes naturally. Since humans know where babies come from, uh, having a desire for sex redundant, and especially when they have contraceptive, then having this desire for sex is not enough to have babies. They have to want to have babies. So therefore, having sex by itself doesn't serve any purpose in terms of maximizing fitness. 
So one of the prediction of this model essentially will be human sexual desire essentially becomes obsolete from a fitness maximization point of view. Now, whether we'll ever be able to live long enough to see that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, just, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you.